It is great to see you guys and, uh, and to sing with you and to the whole Providence family. You're in here or um, all the other venues or at home, welcome. We're really glad that you've joined us as well. And if you're a guest with us, welcome. We're thrilled that you are here. Uh, we love the Bible here at Providence. And if you uh, brought a Bible with you, if you want to look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you didn't, uh, there's lots of Bibles in the chairs near you. Uh, and if you don't have one at home, we would love for you to take that home as a gift. Uh, we, we think it's really important for us all to be reading God's Word uh, to us. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing gift that God has given us this side of heaven, and we love it here at Providence. We're actually told in Psalm 19, it says that the Word of God uh, has the power to make simple people into wise people, uh, to take knowledge and to know how to apply it to our life. It's the Bible that God speaks to our heart, and so each time that we gather, we love to open up this book, and so if you're a guest with us, uh, that's what we're going to do now. So if you would, though, Let's bow. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, we come to you. We want you. We need you. And that's why we come to your word, because your word points us to you. We thank you for it. We thank you for the gift and pray that you would speak through weakness in myself, that you would open up our eyes to see glorious things in your word and that you would help us to primarily, though, see you. Help us to be amazed at you today, to adore you God, you definitely, what's happening here this morning, you are definitely the best. And nothing can compare to you. And we're grateful. As we gather, we pray for people in our own country and around the world who are in need. And in particular, Lord, we just specifically pray for people down in the south right now as they're uh, enduring a storm, another storm this year. I pray, God, that you would protect and you would protect life. We also pray for um, family members, maybe around the whole country, but in particular those um, who are in Las Vegas and as they're still reeling and grieving over the, over the shocking um, sin of man. God, every single week we see a recycled demonstration of sinfulness and fallenness somewhere in the world. But, but last week, God, it was in concentrated form. And we pray today that you would draw those people, those family members, those who are grieving and wondering and confused. God, would you draw them to yourself? I pray for the churches in that city and around the world. God, as as these family members, as they perhaps look for truth, they look for answers, they look for hope. I pray, God, that you would give them grace and strength. I pray that you would help them to be compassionate and courageous. I pray that your people would stand upon your word and truth, but God, that we would demonstrate such mercy and kindness, the same mercy and kindness that no doubt you would and do now for them. And so we, we pray for them. We pray that even as we gather, God, that you would protect people, that you would bring about what this land desperately needs, and that's a revival. So uh, we look to you now. We thank you for the word that you have given to us. Thank you for Ephesians, for Paul, for these believers, for recording it and for preserving it through all of these centuries. We're grateful and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, nine years ago in uh, 2008, there was a man, uh, he was actually a student uh, at college. He was working as a, um, um, let's see, DJ is what it was. Uh, making about 150 euros a month, um, and uh, and so um, uh, there and 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 uh, and on this day he gets a knock on the door. Now you have to understand, 
uh, as a college student, of course, he's in poverty already. Uh, he has a part-time job, uh, uh, and, uh, and he's in Russia, Moldova. And, uh, and, and at the door, uh, there's two lawyers. He's not certain as to why they're there, and so he sits them down. He has them come in and, and, uh, um, and turns out um, that they've come to tell him something, and that is that his uncle... Uh, who, uh, who he had met only twice in his entire life, and the second time was over 10 years ago. Uh, he had no relationship with this individual, no, no, no friendship. There was no bond whatsoever. And they came to tell Sergei, uh, the college student, that his uncle had passed away and had left him the inheritance which amassed um, an amount of $1.3 billion, right? And so he became suddenly the richest man in Moldova. Now, what was interesting about this is, um, is, that, is that his uncle had actually made him the heir 10 years previous to this, but didn't tell him. And then even after he died, it actually took them significant time to find where Sergei was because his uncle, Russia, he's in Moldova, and so there was, there was a time delay between actually owning or, or, or being the heir and actually knowing it. And the fact is, is during that time, Sergei never lived like an heir because he never knew that he was one. And this is a reality that you see right here in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul wants to guard against for us. You see, in um, verse 3 through verse 14 that we looked at over the last three weeks, basically what he shows us is just God's storehouse of blessing that he's given to us. And part of that, he says that he's made us sons and daughters, that we've become children of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. He even says in verse 11, there's an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. But he knows what life really feels like here on this earth. And he knows that these blessings, these, these realities that are ours in Christ, that we really are an heir of these things, that we simply do not experience them. We don't, we don't feel the power of these things necessarily every single Monday morning, every Tuesday morning, and every Wednesday night. And, and we're, 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 the, we're the daily in and out of life that can be so hard where we feel like we're just recycling our weakness over and over and over and over again. He, he knows that there's probably going to be a gap between what he says, this is yours in Christ, and this is where you're living your life. And so what he does in this section, the last part of chapter 1 of Ephesians, is he says, this is what I'm praying for you. And that is that you would actually learn to experience and practice what you've already received. So let's read it together. He says in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom as well as revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I'll just be totally honest with you. When I read Paul, I have to read Paul several times before I understand what he's saying. And the reason is because Paul was so captured by God that he couldn't avoid superlatives, okay? Like our language, like it strains and buckles under the pressure of what it's trying to hold up when it's trying to describe God. We say things like holy, God is holy, and God is loving. But if you actually saw the love and holiness of God, you would feel like you needed some superlatives, some adjectives, adverbs, things that make it wider and broader and more expansive. And this is how Paul writes. That's why when you're reading, you're like, wow, he's stacking phrase after phrase and superlative after superlative in order to talk about what God has done and what God has made available to us. And so sometimes what I do, just to kind of help me understand his central line of thought, and it may help you as well, this is why I'm sharing this with you, is what I try to do is to say, now, if you took all the adjectives and all the adverbs away, and I'm not saying that we do that, but just for understanding, okay? What's the central line of thought here? And I believe this is what it is. I think this is what he's saying. He says, I'm sitting here in prison. I've even heard, and I'm so encouraged to hear, that of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for other believers. And I just really enjoy talking to God about what I hear in your life. And not only that, but I'm praying for you. And what I want you to know, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that God would give you the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would help you to know God in a, in a way that maybe you've never known him before. And not only to know God, but know the things that God has made, made fully available to you so that you can live a different kind of life. And that's a dramatic paraphrase from everything that he said. But ultimately, that's what he's saying. I hear what's happening in your life. I'm so grateful that I pray about it. And since I'm already in, my, in the Father's presence, I also pray that you'll know him and that you'll know what he's made available to you. And the fact is, is Paul, I believe, knows that there's this gap. And he knows that our unbelief meter rises when what we experience day in and day out doesn't look like this. And so what he does is in order to protect us, he prays for us. And not only does he pray for us, but he tells us, his readers, what he's praying for, for us. You see, he wants us to understand that we are heirs of God, that we have an inheritance. And there are things that are true about each one of us That even though we may not be applying them to our life, it doesn't mean that they're not true and they're not available. It's almost like what he's doing is he's stacking up all of these gifts on the counter of the kitchen saying, do you see what's available to you? And then he's praying and pleading. Now, don't leave them on the table. Go ahead and practice them in your life. They're, They're for you now. You're an heir. I want you to know you're an heir so that you'll live like an heir. You have an inheritance. And I want to show you here in the text just three real simple things that God has given to us 
that I think Paul and God would say, don't leave these in the bag. The first is this, is we have received freedom to pray to God. We've received freedom to pray to God. You see, Paul demonstrates what so many of us leave in the bag, and that is a relationship with God to where he's simply talking to him as a friend. He says, I hear of your faith and love, and I do not cease to give thanks when I pray, when I remember you in my prayers. Now, you've got to understand something about Paul, and that is life's been really hard for him. Really hard. In fact, at this time in his life, he's sitting in a prison. He's writing this to them, but he's in a prison. He's cold. He's lonely. He's separated from his people. He's separated from his plans. He's also scarred from head to toe. A letter that he write, wrote, wrote separately, he says, he says this. He goes, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. In other words, you could look at his body and you could say, hey, what's that scar from? And he could point back to a specific place in his and time where somebody had inflicted harm upon him because of his love and his declaration of Jesus Christ. Now, you probably have scars on your body. I've got some. I got one right here on my hand, right? Where there's, there's, there's teeth mark and it, like, it looks like I've been scratched like this. And what happened is I was up in a, in a tree and I was with a saw and I was trimming the tree and the and the saw slipped and it ran right across my hand. And I thought it was a whole lot worse. But I look and I go, well, that's, that's, that's one of those dummy scars right there. Right? You know? And then I look at my forehead when I'm in the mirror. And if you, if you stand close to me, i got a scar right here. You see, back in the day, those of you who were young kids, of course, we don't do this anymore because we've, because we've wised up. But, but at one time, when you had a fireplace, you put this metal grate with steel rods sticking towards people, right? And as a little kid, I was up on the fireplace, and I stumbled, fell straight down on one of those things, and right in the head. Mom pulled me off, went to the hospital, stitched me up, right? So I got another one right here. I got another one right by the eye. It's really sad, and if you're a hunter, if you shoot guns, in your life at any time, you, you'll, you'll, you'll know what this is. And, and that is the first time I ever shot a gun. I, I was a little too close to the scope. So I fired the gun and the gun fires back at my head and opened open my eye up right here. And, and so if you look at me real close and, you know, and you, you'll see a round scar right over my eye. I got another one right here on my chin, right? <laughs> right. But, but the problem with this one is it's simply too embarrassing to tell you. So I'm just going to leave that one there. But if I was Paul, I could say, You see, this one here is when I was stoned in Lystra because I refused to be quiet about forgiveness that's found in Jesus. And he could take his shirt off and you could see his back where he'd been whipped and he'd been beaten. See, this is Paul's lot in life, but he's not grumbling and he's not complaining when he's in this prison. No, he's thankful. See, he may be separated from his people and he may be separated from his plans, but he's not separated from his God because he can pray. And this is an amazing gift that a lot of us, we leave on the table. You see, Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, Jesus died on that cross. But while it was happening, God the Father accepted his blood payment for our sin. And there was a curtain, a thick curtain in the temple that separated where the people could be from where God's presence resided, the holy of holy place. And that curtain was severed straight down top to bottom. It was a symbolic thing physically, of something reality and spiritually. And that is that for those who came with Jesus, as Jesus is our high priest holding his hand, is that we could have direct access, confident access into the presence of God to be able to spend time with him in order to pour our heart out. Hebrews says, because since we have so great a high priest, 
verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, you have to understand something, Providence, and that is that we who trust Christ are adopted into God's family. And when you're adopted into his family, you have unlimited access. You have family privileges. I'm going to show you something. This is, this is one of the, my favorite things in my office. Okay, Frost fine bread. Now, our family at one time in West Texas, now not me, but my grandpa, he owned a bakery. It was a big bakery and, and uh, it was just a cool thing. I mean, huge vats of dough, like the size of my office. And there was all kinds of all kinds of bread that was cooling in the air on all these strips. It was just an amazing thing to go to. But what was even cooler than the bakery was the fact that I was a frost. And when I was just a little kid, we would go out to West Texas. And because I was a frost, I got to wear this cool hat. And everyone knew that we were, we were his grandsons. So we got to go through and we basically had unlimited access. We could go anywhere we wanted to because we were with him. We were his grandkids. And it was a cool thing. We felt like a celebrity. We'd done nothing to deserve anything. We, we'd done nothing to, 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 to merit any access whatsoever. And yet we were a frost. And as a result of that, we had the privilege to go anywhere, really to taste anything that none of you would have been able to. And the fact is, is that you, you all have a place. You have a family. There's, there's places you can go that I can't go. But the cool thing is this, is that when we became a Christian, when we trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, as we became not only a son and daughter of God, but we became an heir and a co-heir with Christ. And I just want you to notice just the authenticity and simplicity of what he's saying here. I want you to notice that he doesn't say, you know, man, I'm making all these sacrifices so that God would hear me. I'm going to a third party priest so God would hear me. There's no formality, no maneuvering with God. There's no leveraging, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And No, he simply says, this is what I talked to him about. I'm really thankful for your faith and your love, and I talked to God about it. It's so simple. It's so real. It's just a, it's one of our Christian heroes who knows that God the Father hears him because God the Son, Jesus Christ, is his friend and is his high priest and his his savior, a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what I want you to know is that if you believe in Christ, you too have an inheritance that allows you into his presence. And so let's give ourselves to pray. If God has done this for us, let's not leave this gift on the table. You see, prayer is simply talking to God. If you're a new believer, prayer, prayer is simply, it's just talking to God. It can be privately, it can be publicly, it can be in a group, it can be audibly, it can be silently. And what I want to simply encourage you is this, just like Paul, don't dress it up. Don't dress it up. You know, there's an interesting thing that's sort of taking place in our country. I don't quite understand it. I mean, it's, it's a thing, right? And so... When it's a thing in America, we, we, we put cameras on it. But beauty pageants for three-year-olds. It, it, it's an amazing thing if you really think about it, right? And so you have this little girl, right? Cute little girl. And all of a sudden, like, cute little girl's not enough. So cute little girl's got to be dressed up. And so we put 
big hair and makeup and a pretty dress. And, and they're pretty. And then we put them on a stage and like, we dress them up. That's not what God wants in your prayers. If you dress your kids up like that, that's great. That's not what he wants in your prayers. This is what Jesus said. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Right? Listen, if your prayers confuse you, you're probably not praying, okay? If you're like, well, I don't know really what I just said, God, but uh, yeah, why don't you do something with that? It's a relationship. It's a friendship. This is why Jesus frames the entire teaching of his on how we talk to him with this. Our Father in heaven. Loving dad, loving kids, they want to talk to each other. It's a beautiful thing. What you need to understand is that God has his arms wide open, wide open, waiting for you to come. He loves to hear your voice. He loves your voice. He wants to time, have time with, with you. And when his arms are wide open, you know, come messy, come weary, come just as you are. I, I realize that in the church, like we look at things that take place in the Bible, and we look at the prayers, and we kind of dissect them like an earthworm. We're like, well, I see this over here and this and this. And, and so you start to see ways, and then all of a sudden we start teaching people how to pray. And we say, well, here's, here's one way to pray. And a lot of us have been taught to pray ACTS, Acts, right? Adoration, and then you go to confession, and then you go to thanksgiving, and then you go to supplication. But have you ever thought, have you ever thought about like a real relationship and how it works? Think if you had to follow that model with all your friends. Think about it like this. In our last house, um, our boys were younger, and that house, it got traffic with, a, with this really cool ice cream truck. Right? And I could hear the siren, our little, little song playing. I'm thinking, here they come. And all of a sudden, I hear these steps. Door opens up. Dad, 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 dad. I got three sons. And when they were little, they didn't come and go, now, dad, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's supplication. We got to adore him first. Oh, great dad of ours. We're so amazed at you and so in awe of your grandeur. And uh, hey, what's next? Uh, uh, see, uh, confess. We are such sorry sons. And, and would you please forgive us and Thank you for the house that you have and for the ice cream that's already stored in the freezer. But can we please have a dollar? No, little kids, they run to their dad and say, Dad, this is what's on my heart. This is what's on my mind. And it just comes out the mouth. In your prayer life, I just want to encourage you with this, right? Start with the, start with the place of your anxiety. Start with the place of your weariness. Start with the place where your mind is already at. Because if you don't, you're going to be distracted by that throughout the whole time. Just say, God, this is what's on my mind. And this is what I found in my life. It's really kind of cool. Is that wherever I start, if I stay long enough, I eventually praise him. I adore him. I eventually get to the place where I'm confessing and thanking him for things. Just start where you're at. He wants you to be near him. So Providence, we've received this as such a gift. I just want to encourage us as a people. Let's not leave it in the bag. Let's utilize what he's given us. And so think about your life. Are you praying? Really? Have you prayed today? Have you prayed yesterday? Have you told him the most significant thing that you're anxious about right now? He loves to hear that from you. And there's power. He gives us help in our time of need. 
The second thing that, he, that, that, uh, that, that Paul tells us is that we receive the Spirit to know God. We've received the Spirit to know God. You see, Paul loves God. He loves the fact that God is one, and yet there's three persons. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so he prays to the Father and Son to give the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that these people, so that his friends in Ephesus, that they would be able to know God. To know God as he really is. You see, he's praying that we would know God more fully. You see, every single one of us, we all have a picture of who God is. And I want you to know that whatever you think of when you think of God is perhaps the most important picture in your life. And the reason is because nobody ever raises, rises morally above their picture of God's morality. Whatever you think about God, if we were to accurately pull it out of your heart and see it, we could predict with certainty the kind of believer that you would be. And the kind of believer you will become. What we know about God. What we believe about God. Is critically, critically important to us. And Paul knows that. And so Paul wants his readers to know God. As he truly is. So he pleads for the only one. Who can truly reveal him. And that is the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 9 through 12. Look what it says. He says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Let me just pause because it's kind of wordy, but this is what he's saying. He's saying every single one of us, we, we, we sit outside of God, we look, and the fact is, is every single one of us wish we could see him with our eye and we wonder what he looks like. We would love for him to speak to us audibly and we wonder what his voice would sound like. Every single one of us, we have thoughts that we imagine about what God is, but we're not absolutely certain that that's who God is. And every single one of us, we wonder what God has prepared for those who actually love him. What does the inheritance, what does heaven really look like? See, these are mysteries that are uninventable by us. And he goes, but did you notice what happened? He goes, God's spirit who knows all these things These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And he goes on. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, think about this for a second. What he's saying is this, is that God, by his Spirit, uses the Word of God to show us who God is and what God has accomplished. I want to show you Glacier cave. This is in Iceland, okay? This is an actual cave. Now, what you see in the back is not water being splashed. That's ice that is formed, okay? And how we know any of this is there is because somebody went down there with a light. And that light is not creating the ice. That light is only revealing the ice. It's illuminating the ice. It's giving clarity to it. It it allows our eyes to be able to see it. And the fact is, is this is sort of like a picture of God. You see, God is sort of like a cave. It it just keeps going. It's unimaginable pleasure and power and sovereignty. And so what happens is God's spirit comes to us and he's like the man with the flashlight. And he's saying, look at this right here. Look at this majestic portrait of God's compassion or his mercy or his kindness or his generosity. And then what he does is he goes, but I want to show you more. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang a lantern here so that 
you can always get to this part of the cave and enjoy it just as it is. But don't settle here because the best is yet to come. And the Holy Spirit continues to take those that will come with him deeper and deeper and deeper into the most majestic things that no mind can comprehend. This is the Holy Spirit's role in our life. Is, and this is what he's praying. He's saying, this is so available to you. You're an heir. You have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you think you know everything there is about God. You think that you've already maxed out in your pleasure of him. You think, okay, I've got the check. I've trusted Christ. Now what's life really about? Let me go somewhere else. And what he's saying is, God has given you the Holy Spirit. And so I am going to pray. I am going to pray for you as people that you would long to go deeper and that God's spirit would help you do so. That God's spirit would take you deeper and deeper and deeper. That you would love him more and more and more. You see, this is exactly what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do when he was on the earth. He says, I'm going to heaven. Spirit's coming down. And this is what I'm going to do. He says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So it's the Bible and it's the spirit. God's spirit uses the Bible to give us revelation of who God is. And it can go deeper and deeper and deeper. So Providence, let's lean on the Spirit as we study the Bible. Let's lean on the Spirit as we study the Bible. What this means is that when you open up the book, the Word of God, ask God to open your eyes. This is why we, I pray every time before I open up and read. And if you ever notice, one of the things I always pray is, God, would you help us to believe? Would you help us to believe? Would you help us to apply it? Have the courage to apply this to our life. See, I love the fact that you give me the privilege. And many of us at Providence who have the opportunity to open up the Bible and teach the Bible, we're so grateful for this privilege. But I want you to know that if this is the only spiritual meal you're receiving this week, you're living malnourished. He wants you to be in the word. You see, I began loving Jesus and studying this book 28 years ago. 28 years ago. Every day I learn something more. Every day I get a little deeper in the cave. I'm so grateful. Early on, I became inspired by something that a man named Moses prays. Moses has seen all these amazing things. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, he looks at God and he says, please show me your glory. Remember the very first time when I was a two-year-old believer, which meant I was 18 years old physically, only two years old after I had trusted Christ. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, what do you want, man? You've already like seen the plagues. You've seen the water open up. You've walked on dry ground, man, a quail. You've seen a burning bush. I mean, you've seen things. Show me your glory. See, Moses had seen amazing things that no eye had ever seen, but he also knew that these were only splashes that pointed to even a greater experience in the person of God. A real person, a, a, a relationship with God. This passage, early readings in the scripture began a journey in my own life to, to want to know God more fully and more deeply. And there's a real practical thing that God did in my life that changed the course, I believe, of even my study and my walk with the Lord with the Bible. And I want to tell you what that is. You see, in my early years as a believer, I just saw this as the rule book. Just a bunch of rules. Now, if, I don't care what sport you love. How many of you love to read 
like the rule book just for fun. Just, I just want to read the rule book again because the rule book is so fun to read. I just love the rule book. No one reads the rule book unless you have to read the rule book. And that's how a lot of people look at this. They go, I'm going to read it so long as I have to. But once I know all the rules, then I'm going to put it down. This book is not a rule book. It is a love book. It's a book that's, it's a real story about someone else. And it's interesting. If you look at my first few Bibles, when I'm underlining things, all I was underlining back then was what I was supposed to do. And what I'm not supposed to do. I don't want to forget those things, right? It's the rules. And all of a sudden, God changed my heart and said, you know, what if all of this actually doesn't point to what I'm supposed to accomplish in life or what he's accomplished in life? What if all of this is actually God telling, this is how much I love people in the world that I would go to this extent in order to redeem. And you see, it changed everything in my life. And so a few things as you consider opening up the Bible yourself. The first thing is I would encourage you to know is this, is that God always acts and instructs in alignment with who he is. What that means is even when you're in sections where all you're reading is not necessarily passages that say God is loving or God is this. Maybe it's something like a wise man listens to advice. But what you have to understand is this, is whatever God has instructed or whatever God has done aligns with who he is. And so if you have any one, you have all three. So even in the book of Proverbs, which is just, One sentence after another about wise living. This is a great practice for you. Go through one chapter. Read one verse and say, what does this say about God? If this is true, this is an instruction about life. What does this mean about who God is? The second thing I would really encourage you to do if you read the Bible is to understand that Jesus is the perfection of every great godly trait. You see somebody who's honest or courageous, what you have to know is that Jesus is is the perfected form of that. And then the flip side is he's the antithesis of every sin. He's the opposite of all of these things. And why I'm saying this is for this reason. You and I become like what we admire. And so I would encourage you to bend everything at your disposal when you open up this word to say, God, the first thing It's not what do I need to do today, but would you give me a perspective of who you are? Would you help me to respect you, admire you, be in awe of you? I promise you it will change the way you study your Bible. This is something, the Bible. We've got the prayer, we've got Bible, we've got the Holy Spirit. These are all gifts to us that we don't want to leave on the table. The last one is this, is we have received knowledge to experience God. We've received knowledge to experience God. He says, I pray that you may know. Now, there's a few words that you can use in Greek in order that we translate it into the word know. One of them is, an, is, is knowledge just to know facts. Like, hey, that's a stage. I bet if someone stands on it, they actually, it actually could hold them up. Another is the knowledge of experience that I have that maybe you don't. I'm actually standing on it. It's a different kind of experience. It's a different kind of knowledge. It's the difference between knowing a cake has been baked and like this little girl enjoying the cake. Okay? And Paul wants us not just to know some things are available, but to experience the things that are available. And he talks about three of them. He says, the hope to which you have been called. 
that when you were called by God to trust him as Savior, it gives a hope that I want you to know and experience in life. And then he says, there's in the future, there's an inheritance. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God would give you an understanding of the riches that await us. But then he focuses on power. He says, and to what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now, Paul is not praying that we get called, that we become heirs, or that we find power. He's praying that we experience these things because we've already received them. We're already heirs. Our name is already on the deed. And then what he does is he zooms in on this power. Now, he confesses that we can't measure the power. He says it's immeasurable. But he says, but you can compare it to something. This is the words according to. Do you see it? Verse 19. The greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working. In other words, I can't measure it, but I can compare it. And what does he compare the power that is available to us right now on the earth? He goes, this is like what you have. The same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead the same power that it took to have Jesus sit at the right hand and put everything under his feet. And third, the same power that it took to make Jesus head over all things in the world. Now, this is what he's saying. He's saying, last night, when you were tempted and maybe even failed to look at something on your computer screen, you actually had the power, if you're a Christian, the same power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead to say no. Yesterday, when you had the opportunity to say, and maybe took the opportunity to say that really sharp word towards a friend or a spouse or a child, you had the power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead, a comparable power to have words come out of your mouth that were kind. It's an amazing thing that he's given us. And the fact is, is for people who recycle our sin and our failure over and over and over again, I realize that all of this sounds terribly idealistic. So it's natural for us to catalog it as fiction somewhere between Lord of the Rings and the Avengers. Like, yeah, like I've got the power to live like Jesus rising from the dead to be a great husband. Yeah, all right. I can identify because my life and so many days of it has been marked by weakness and fear and being powerless. But there's a reason for all this. It's not that power is unavailable to us. Verse 18 says, it's that our hearts are not enlightened to the power that is available to us. And so what Paul prays is simply this. He wants us to believe in Jesus and he wants to believe Jesus when he says, at this very moment of your life, power is available to say no to sin, to love your wife, to be honest, to be pure, to invest in your kid. It's an amazing gift that he's given to us. And so let's apply this to our life this way. Let's believe in Jesus and then believe Jesus. It begins with those of us who've never trusted Christ. And we would exhort you to believe in Jesus, to trust in him, that he is God, that he came, that he lived a righteous life, that he died on a cross and he rose from the dead after three days. Your sins could be forgiven. You'd be given new power to live a new kind of life. You see, the gospel and everything that I'm saying here, it may, it may look almost like a, like a little pepper that really doesn't look impressive, but if you sink your teeth into that gospel, it will explode all of your senses. 
You see, the death of a man 2,000 years ago is something that the world scoffs at because they look at it as something that's weak. But if you sink your teeth into the power of Jesus Christ and believe upon him, it will explode into every single fiber of your being and it will change everything about you. And then once you have trusted Jesus Christ, this is for us who have, we move from believe in Jesus to believing Jesus. That he's given you at the moment of crisis, at the moment of decision, at the moment of right before impurity or purity, right before that sharp word or that kind word, right before being lazy with our family or being totally sold out to invest in our family, at that very moment, Jesus says to us, this is available to you. And at that very moment, if we'll believe him, if we'll acknowledge its presence and we'll ask God at those vital moments of our day, God, would you strengthen me right now to do the thing that I know I need to do? It will change a life even more. Providence, these things, whether you experience them in your life, they are available for you. And he says that they all come to those who believe Christ. Believe. Let's not leave these treasures on the table. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us in prayer, in the word, your spirit, in knowledge. And I pray, God, as we kneel before you, as we bow our hearts before you, we pray, I pray, that you would do just what Paul prayed. That is that by your spirit, you would open up our eyes. We could know you and we could know what you've made available for us. We pray, Father, that as we sing to you, as we worship you, not only in our singing, but our giving, we pray that not only are the words of our worship, but even the resources of our worship, they would be expanded so that more people could hear the good news about Jesus Christ. So God, would you help us as a people to be a people who are believing what you've made available and experiencing it this week, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.